Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another brand new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, and simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television, PCTV. Uh, we're going to start with a check of the weather uh, by my able assistant and sound engineer, Gary Munn. Uh, then we'll talk about some items in the news, and then we will get into what is going to be a slightly unusual program. More on that in a minute. Gary, let's check the weather on this beautiful Friday. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area today, sunny. Isolated showers this afternoon. Highs in the upper 70s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 20%. Tonight, partly cloudy in the evening, then becoming mostly clear. Cooler with lows in the mid 40s. Northwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Saturday, sunny. Not as warm with highs in the upper 60s. Northwest wind around 5 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Good morning. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to our listeners and viewers at home. Uh, my name is Mike Wynn. I am the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield. I'm also one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this weekly community radio program, which is now also a community television program. And we haven't actually covered enough of it in uh, the last couple of episodes with everything that's going on. Um, but we are now also a podcast. Uh, PCTV has, or WTVR has switched their uh, content archive manager and moved us off of SoundCloud over to WordPress. And uh, if you are someone who listens to podcasts, follows podcasts, you can find Out Patrol with the PPD on all of your favorite uh podcast platforms so uh, check us out there i've got some some colleagues some law enforcement colleagues out on the cape who when we first started this they're like i played your podcast I'm like it's a radio <laughs> show oh, they were right prescient i'm joined in studio this morning by it specialist gary munn smart gary welcome smart gary good morning sir how, how are, are you? you good uh and today it's just the two of us yep it's just we'll get into why it's just the two of us in a little <laughs> bit um but let's start with some items from the news. Uh, I don't have a, a, a formal public health update for the week. That's on, that's on me. But I do have some good news related to the public health COVID front. Uh, it was reported yesterday from the Commonwealth. Actually, it was, uh, it was reported also this morning in the Berkshire Eagle. Yesterday, Berkshire County saw zero ho COVID hospitalizations in, in any of the uh, three locations. So either... BMC, BMC North, or Fairview. Zero. Uh, first day since the, the first case was reported in early March. Hmm. Um, there is uh, good news on the opening front. Restaurants started to open for outdoor dining and seating. There's some interesting changes coming in Pittsfield. There's a new accelerated plan in place to allow restaurants that normally have limited outdoor seating or sidewalk cafes to expedite and change that and if you don't normally have that if you want that a uh, new process those applications have been coming in 
Fast and Furious. Um, every department that's involved in the process was required to designate one single point of contact so that those things could get turned around quickly. Mm-hmm. And they even changed uh, the process with uh, the alcohol licenses. Essentially, they designated the chair of the of the alcohol licensing or the licensing board to uh, act on those quickly on behalf of the entire board so that the turnaround could uh, ease the transition for these businesses that are quickly pivoting after months of uh, takeout and uh, delivery only. So that is good news. Um, Also newsworthy, and this is germane across many, many fronts, um, it's, it's Pittsfield's budget season. Budget hearings have been going on now uh, for several days. The department's budget hearing is Monday evening. Um, you know, this this going into the budget season, it was already going to be difficult. The, the lack of knowledge about what was going to occur across the country and across the Commonwealth related to revenue um, because of COVID-19. Um, was, was already a, a, a big unknown. Everybody was directed to go back and retool their budgets. We've done that. Um, but if you saw, again, the news this week, um, the school district, depending on what happens with state funding, uh, state assistance, they're, they're, they're predicting the best case scenario will require um, about 140 positions to be cut. And um, oh, the worst case scenario, I apologize. So there's you know, and I feel so bad for Superintendent McCandless because their contract requires that he puts those notices out affirmatively so people have time to plan, even if it doesn't ultimately mean that those positions are eliminated if the revenues come in better. So um, lots, lots. And then, of course, uh, as the budget season was ramping up, um, we as a nation experienced the, the death of George Floyd and all of the um, activity and energy that's been generated in that and calls for reform and change and justice reform and police reform and of course some of that is um, is calling for uh, reallocation or cutting funds to police departments uh, you know that those calls are coming just as we're going into our budget hearing um, our budget is already very very lean I've had several conversations in the last couple of days, both with elected officials and media representatives and, and residents. And, um, you know, the reality is uh, the, the police department's budget is 90 percent personnel. And our, pr- our draft budget, our proposed budget for the upcoming fiscal year does reflect an increase, um, which, you know, we, we are one of the only departments that's doing that. But that increase is entirely due to contractual obligations that were settled uh, in the last couple of years and you know that if if we are put in a position where we take a, a funding cut either because of the current situation with uh, the unknowns from COVID-19 or because of the current um, momentum in, in the country regarding police reform that's gonna that's gonna mean personnel right there's there's no expense stuff left really we already eliminated things in our ask that I and, and our commanders regard as essential. Like we were pretty sure, um, unless I can locate some grant funds or you know, Ms. Gregory, Mrs. Gregory Blada can locate some grant funds, we're pretty sure we're gonna have to go all of next year with no new cars. Um, now that that may sound like it's not a big deal, but we're, we're, we're hard on cars. They run 24 yep. hours a day, every day of the year, and they're high mileage, um, so, and it's a lot of idle time. So we try to keep a car on the road for less than three years and then replace it to keep the maintenance costs down. If we have to go in and, and we have a fleet replacement program 
that's designed to bring new cars in as cars age out at the end of three years. Now, after three years, we can refurbish that car, recondition that car, and take it out of frontline service and use it for something else. So we stretch the life of the cars. But if we have a car that's more than three years old in frontline service, uh, they break down more frequently. It gets much more expensive to maintain them. Um, they're offline much more frequently. That limits our ability to uh, conduct special patrols. So um, going a year with zero cars added to the fleet is a significant um it's a significant impact, and those are the types of things we're already looking at. So more to come on that. So how's it going over there, Gary? Pretty good. I'm managing all the buttons. You're managing all the buttons, and there are a lot of <laughs> buttons. So I came in, and uh, you were setting up the board, and uh, Dave was here. and I, said, I, I forgot today was Friday. Like, I knew it was Friday. I knew what I had to do today because I've got some appointments when we're done on the air here. But we had so much new stuff come into the office Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then I had a, um, a community commitment last night that I'll talk about in a little bit, that as I was going through my day yesterday afternoon when I normally would be sending out either a, an email or a group text or a, a SCOM asking you know what we want to do and it, who we had lined up, it, it just never even occurred to me that we hadn't, you and I hadn't communicated, Lieutenant Traverse is on time off, I didn't touch base with Director Armstrong or Dr. Kohlberg, it just, I got overwhelmed. Um, and so I woke up this morning, I was like, oh, it's me and Gary. <laughs> but there's so much going on, and there's lots to talk about, so we'll be fine, we'll, we'll get through the, uh, we'll get through it. If you are viewing or listening, um, you know, uh, I, I'm trying to do my best to kind of track stuff as it's going on, I know some of you have corresponded with me via email in the past. Some of you follow us on social media. Um, that This might be a good time. If you have a question, tag it on Patrol PPD, and we'll try to see if we can find it uh, as we go forward. Um, so, Gary, you've had an interesting several weeks, but uh, I was intrigued. I don't even remember. Was it, when did you have to go to Hampton with Captain Brio? Uh, Wednesday? Yeah. So, um, the... the that is definitely outside of your normal wheelhouse, right? But you've been operating outside of your normal wheelhouse for 90 days. <laughs> yeah. um, you've been with me basically co-located over at the coordinating center, kind of split in time. You've, in the last couple of weeks, as I've been trying to shift back over to take care of stuff related to the department and the budget, you've kind of become like a, a semi-official department head over there, yep. right? Keeping the place <laughs> open when, when you can. Um, and Captain Briel's been working alongside with us for the last 90 days as well. Um, but... Two weeks ago, Captain Brio also got mobilized and reassigned as a result, and he had, because he's a communications specialist, so he had to pack up all his stuff and, and head east in response for a mutual aid request. Yep. Um, and then, you know, the little, little shift back to what I guess we would call some sort of normal, and then all that gear had to come back. Yep. Right? So I'm not sure how the sheriff's office got it out to Hamden. Uh, they packed it up in their, their big bus there. But... uh they didn't have the same people available to bring it back. Yep. So tell us about your trip. Yeah, so we just uh, had to go out, out to uh, Hamden County Sheriff's Department and pick up the radios that uh, were left behind. Um, I'm not sure what capacity they use them in, but uh, you know he's, he's got uh, four different banks of radios that uh, have all the different frequencies needed for um, all the different uh, organizations. Um, so just, uh, this isn't going to make any sense to anybody outside of, of public safety, but so Captain Briel, uh, 
Captain Jason Brialt with the Berkshire County Sheriff's Office. We should get him on. Right. Right. Um, we, yeah, we should definitely get he him took on. Today off. Did he? <laughs> um, but Captain Brialt uh, used to be a Pittsfield police officer. Yep. Prior to joining the Pittsfield Police Department, he was his job title was cameraman, right? But it was so much <laughs> more than that. Uh, he he was a cameraman for a, for a news, or I think it was News Channel Thirteen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was News Channel Thirteen. And uh, I actually met him in that capacity when he came over with a couple News Channel Thirteen reporters for some interviews. And you know, there he is working the camera. And I don't know a lot about behind the scenes, but. Uh, television news camera people who deploy into the field it's not just run the camera mic the correspondent they got to be able to like get that stuff back to their newsroom and so he's a communication specialist he he worked with you know satellite equipment and radio equipment and digital uploads and data links and all this stuff so he leaves that life and he goes to police academy i trained him in the police academy and then uh he decides he's going to, you know, he goes to the police guy because he wants to be a Pittsfield police officer. And so he comes over and he joins the Pittsfield Police Department. And he wasn't with us all that long before we realized that he had a, a knowledge base and expertise that we, we couldn't ignore, right? So he's a patrol officer, just like anybody else coming out of the police academy. But he's getting called all the time to assist other officers and detectives and investigators with cases because he can do things with digital evidence with you know video evidence that the rest of us can't do we're not trained for that Uh, and so we we had an internal discussion and conversation and we designated him a technical services officer he was the first technical services officer we had and his job was just that to help other officers with technical type of evidence Um, and up until that point in the story i was very very pleased and happy that we had made that pivot because it's unusual for us to take a patrol officer and take them out of the car. Right. Uh, and then I got a request from the previous district attorney to assign Jason over to the task force bases for the county law enforcement task force so he could do the same type of work for all of the Berkshire County departments through the law enforcement task force. And that seemed reasonable. It seemed like a good thing to do, uh, try to help out our fellow departments who don't necessarily have the resources. And shortly after we sent him over there, my friend, my colleague, my buddy, my pal, the high sheriff of Berkshire County, Sheriff Thomas Bowler, offered Officer Brialt a promotion and a raise and a, and a job at the sheriff's office. And Officer Brialt went to Captain Brialt and moved over to the sheriff's office, basically doing the same work. Um, much more pay. Yep. <laughs> and uh, just like that, boom. My, uh, my technical services officer <laughs> was the sheriff's technical services officer. And that actually has now served as a model. There's a couple of them now who serve the, uh, support the task force. But that was a hit to us because we lost some capabilities and we lost a good officer. Um, but it's unbelievable how much digital evidence has come to play a role uh, in, in the last several years. I know that you got held over earlier this week waiting for some evidence to come in yep. from a video that um, uh, a city councilor was uh, trying to forward to us. Um, it's, it's around the clock, right? I, uh, <clears throat> I, I don't work cases on a regular basis. Right? It's not part of my day-to-day stuff. But I'm the licensing authority still for um, firearms, license to carries, and firearms identification cards. And I got an email from a commander last week who had gone in on a call 
can't get into the details of the call. It's still, there's still charges pending and still under investigation, but a, a licensed resident displayed a firearm. And, uh, you know, during the initial investigation, okay, you know, this was, a, this was a chaotic situation. You felt threatened. You displayed your firearm. But then we got the video evidence. And um, but the, the commander got the video evidence and he had some more questions. So he wanted a licensing review, which now required me to view the video evidence. And it, I got to tell you, I mean, I'm I'm pretty computer savvy, but the way that the evidence came to me <clears throat> and the description of the incident didn't include. I mean, so I get a thumb drive with seven files. The files are huge. There's no indication which of the files is the principal direction I should be looking at. No indication of where in the video the stuff is happening i start opening these files some of them are, are four or five hours of video <laughs> i can't look at it in real time i don't i don't have right. 35 hours to work <laughs> on this thing this week and uh when you when you scroll through video files they're com when they're you know they're compressed that way you can miss an entire you can miss 15 minutes oh, yeah. just by moving the slider a little bit and i couldn't find it i could not find the altercation and to actually go back and uh, you you were off with the captain, so I had to go find Investigator John Bassey, and um, and have him help me. It's like I'm I'm out of my league here. I this is this is not something I was trained to do as a police officer. <laughs> Certainly haven't been trained to do it since. So it's complicated. There's there's so many different platforms. Um, that's why a lot of times the detectives have been say you know grabbing me to go, and uh, we get it done pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, there's. It's so I, your your predecessor in the department now, uh, your boss, my colleague, um, Director Mike Stebbin, he he warned me early early on, you know, be prepared for this. It videos everywhere, right, from every ring doorbell to you know, nest cameras, whatever is out there, just proprietary stuff, uh, stuff that you know you can install yourself if you go get it at a big box store or order it online. As you said, there's so many different platforms. Every one of those platforms records in a different format yep. to some extent. If you don't have the player associated with that platform, you can't play it. Yeah, some are proprietary where yeah. you only play on their platform. We've had to set up individual standalone PCs that are not network connected to be able to, to have access to all these players and codecs. So depending on where they come from, we can do something with them. Yep. Um, but once we take them, they're potentially evidence. And video storage is, it requires massive amounts of storage mm -hmm. and it's expensive. And I don't remember how long ago it was. It was probably four years ago. How long have you been with us now? Three years. So it's probably four years ago that Mr. Stebbin and I had the first conversation that we were actually going to have to purchase and invest in dedicated servers just for the video. Yep. Um, and, and we realistically had to start thinking about the fact that the investment we made then four years ago was not going to be sustainable. At some point, it wasn't going to be cost effective to continue to invest because we can't get rid of the evidence, right? right? So it wasn't going to be sustainable to continue to invest in the servers. And at some point, we were we were quite literally going to have to move to the cloud. Um, so that's a work in progress. Well, Videos everywhere. Yeah, you know, as as a department, we were using two thirds of the entire city storage. Right. Um, so you know, we bought the new servers and. It's holding us for now. And, and again, that's that's the video. Yep. Then we have hundreds of thousands of still images as well, right? right for all, all the photographs that our crime scene technicians and our, our um, 
officers and investigators take, our traffic investigators take, also massive files. Um, it's just, it's not something that people think about when they're like, okay, you know, what, what, is, what is the police department? It, when I came out of the job, it was hard to keep the physical evidence. Right. Right? We were constantly trying to just move through the storage. We've got, we literally have cages that we've built to secure physical evidence that we're not allowed to dispose of. Yeah. Um, it's, it's insane. And then, you know, along with that is, is the phones. The, the phones generate massive amounts of data. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. So, you know, you came on board with us, and you're an IT guy. You're supposed to keep my laptop going, <laughs> take care of Zoom on my desktop, <laughs> make sure that, you know, our IT needs are met. And then all of a sudden, you had to jump in with both feet to this world of digital evidence and evidence collection and storage. So... Did you anticipate that? No. Did Mike properly warn you that this was coming? No. Going to have to have a conversation with him about that. I enjoy it, though. It's, uh, I like uh, getting out there with the guys. Right. So, um, so I've had perhaps one of the most eclectic and, and diverse like workloads of my entire career in the past couple of weeks. And at one point, I was having a conversation with the mayor it's, like, it's not because um, it, I was overwhelmed. I was just overwhelmed. It's, and I said, it's not the capacity. It's the variety. Right? I, said, I, I, I can do the work. You know, I don't mind putting in hard work and working long hours. But in one 24-hour period, I was trying to be a police chief. I was trying to be an incident commander. I was trying to be an emergency you know, management procurement director over at the coordinating center. I was trying to be a researcher. I was trying to, you know. In one 24-hour period, I felt like I had seven different jobs. I was like, I, I can't pivot fast enough. I can't keep up. Um, and it's, it hasn't gotten any better. Uh, there is just so much going on. And as uh, we, we come into summer, you know, which for, traditionally for us is a busy time of year, it, there's more and more. Um, we're not, uh, the city made a decision early on in COVID-19 that we wouldn't entertain special event application permits for any normal special events uh, that were gonna occur before July 1st. We wouldn't take any applications until after May 15th. And um, so it was after May 15th, the applications are coming in for events in July and August. The personnel that normally handle those applications and sign off on special events have been reassigned to other tasks related to the restaurant reopening and the licensing stuff. So the new permits are coming in for stuff that's happening right now, the stuff for July and August is coming in. So, by the way, you know, calls for service, they just keep coming in too. Yep. So, it's been a busy week. Busy couple of weeks. Yep. It's Friday. You got plans for the weekend? Uh, we're going to do work around the house. Um, probably take uh, the rest of today off after, probably take a half day today. Good for you. And, uh, Go hang out with my wife because she's got to go back to work July 1st. So, I'm I'm gonna sign off here this morning, and I'm going to jump on the three thrice weekly Monday, Wednesday, Friday Command and General Staff Conference call. I'm gonna get off that, like you know, probably take it uh, either in here because I don't think there's a program coming in after us, or in the cruiser like I've been doing for the last couple of months, and then I'm going to transition over and go visit uh, my friend Brian Andrews and his crew over at County Ambulance. And I'm going to spend a few hours with them doing some work that Brian asked me to do. Uh, 
during which I'll still be trying to keep up with the emails and stuff that are coming in related to the budget and all the other stuff that's going on next week. Uh, but before I can actually start to work with the crew over at County, and then I'm going to jump on another Zoom related to a special event that's coming up not this weekend, but the following weekend. Uh, so I don't think I'm going to manage a half day today. Nope, I don't no, I don't think so. I sound like I'm whining, and I just like, <laughs> you know, you see, we've spoken on the air about my, my admin, uh, Mrs. Gregory Bellotta. She, she must have gotten in early this morning because I had sent a bunch of emails uh, between close of business and, uh, you know, 530 last night when I went to I joined this community event because people were looking for appointments with me either today, Monday, or Tuesday. And I was just like, look, I, I can't, right? We copy this to Maggie. She'll find some time. And so before I left the house this morning, people were responding to emails that she sent to schedule. Like, it's 730 in the morning. <laughs> the appointments are coming in. We're looking out, you know, out a week. Um, so this, this is going to be an interesting weekend. Again, I don't want to sound like I'm whining because I'm not. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work a little bit this weekend. Uh, which I generally try not to do unless we get called in for an emergency. But um, Saturday is, is going to be interesting. Um, we have talked a lot on this program about Massachusetts law enforcement and our involvement, our proud involvement, and our big commitment and Pittsfield's big commitment in the law enforcement torch run to support Special Olympics. And uh, the law enforcement torch run and the Special Olympics summer games like everything else, were impacted by COVID-19. And this is the time of year that traditionally we'd be doing the law enforcement torch run cruiser convoy across the Commonwealth. We'd get you know, a bunch of uh, the cruisers, including the, the Special Olympics law enforcement torch run specific cruiser, uh, and we'd line them up and that officers who were you know, on time off and wanted to participate would head to Boston, joined by other cruisers along the way, and then they get out to Boston. Usually they, um, they go to one of the university stadiums. They pull in with all the cruisers. The athletes are there. They kick off the start of the games. They light the torch. And then the officers get to spend as much time as they want there, and they get to put the medals on the athletes when they complete their games. Hmm. Can't do it. So the ask came out from Special Olympics, and what they requested was that this Saturday, across the Commonwealth, in each county, each county law enforcement group do something. So tomorrow morning, we're going to do the Berkshire County Modified Cruiser Convoy to support Special Olympics. We'll be um, up at the property of the Berkshire Mall in Lanesboro. Chief Sorrell set that up for us in between covering shifts at the Coordinating Center. And uh, the athletes and their families will, will gather in one parking lot socially distant, and the officers uh, and uh, law enforcement representatives and our public safety partners will stage in another parking lot with our cruisers, at, you know, properly masked and socially distant, and then we'll form up and we'll drive the ring road around the mall uh, with the lights and sirens for the athletes and um, give them the, the compromise solution we can come up with. That's awesome. Interestingly, uh, because I'm, again, I am very proud of our role to support Law Enforcement Torch Run, and I've told the story about how when I was asked to increase our participation, I went to Investigator Bassey, and he jumped in, you know, without hesitation because of his personal connection with Special Olympics Massachusetts through his son, Jake. Um, and we've just, we've been committed to it since I became the chief, and uh, we continue to be uh, committed to it. So next year, summer of 2021, know when when life as we know it is you know whatever passes for normal 
uh, Massachusetts is um, going to host the final leg of the international torch run for the Special Olympics Summer Games. And so uh, I don't have the we don't I don't have the dates yet. I'm sure Special Olympics knows, but the torch will come into the Commonwealth from law enforcement runners who are running it across the country. Yep. Uh, we'll pick it up probably at the Hancock line. And then volunteers will run it in convoy to the summer games to light the torch for the 2021 summer games in Boston, the international summer games. So this week, Special Olympics asked if I would participate in a, uh, in a video project to announce the 2021 summer games final leg torch run. And so I had to get some help from my, my lovely wife and one of her colleagues, and I had to so film, a, film a video, record a video, making some remarks to the athletes and I had to like take the torch and make my remarks. Well, that, that's going to make good television copy. Take the torch, <laughs> make my remarks, and then pass the torch off and simulate that I was passing it to Commissioner Claprood from Springfield PD, <laughs> who then has to record a video right. receiving the torch from me. And so we've got, I think there was five or six chiefs that were asked to do this. And uh, so they're going to stream all those or link all those videos together splice them all together and they're going to release this video of the virtual final leg torch run so awesome. more to come on that all right so it's uh what do i got here it's almost it's, time yeah it's 929 that's a good place to transition let's get another check of the weather some station identification and some psas and then we'll be back for the second half of on patrol with the ppd here on wtbr 89.7 fm pittsfield community radio simulcast on pittsfield community television WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area, today, sunny. Isolated showers this afternoon. Highs in the upper 70s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 20%. Tonight, partly cloudy in the evening, then becoming mostly clear. Cooler with lows in the mid 40s. Northwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Saturday, sunny. Not as warm with highs in the upper 60s. Northwest wind around 5 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. We all have busy lives and we're in a hurry to get where we need to go. While driving, people are eating, drinking, talking, putting on makeup, doing their hair, checking social media, texting each other, all while the dog sits on their lap. The result is running red lights, stop signs, speeding, and finally crashing. Distracted driving is illegal. You can be ticketed or criminally charged. Please share the road and pay attention. Let's make sure everyone gets where they're going safely. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal Credit Union with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people they support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. PCTV and WTBR are committed to serving our community in this difficult time. We will bring you live coverage of press conferences and official statements from our government officials on PCTV CityLink Channel 1303 on the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page and on WTBR as they happen and as we are able to do so. Please stay tuned to our channels and our social media for updates on press conferences and other important information pertaining to the ongoing pandemic. 
And we're back. We're back. All right. So um, where do I want to go from here? Where do we want to go from here in the program? I know where we want to go from here, you know, long term. I'm just, <laughs> it's, there's been so much activity and, and so much um, curiosity and, and, you know, energy, you know, some, most, a lot of it positive, a lot of it negative. Um, you know, I'm, so I actually was, I was checking some emails while we went to the station break. And uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to something that um, I, I don't how do I how do I frame this? So there's been a lot of conversation in the community and and elsewhere, uh, a lot of emails back and forth with the Chiefs Association about training for police officers in the Commonwealth, how how we train, what we train, um, allowed restraints, prohibited restraints. It's just you know it's a national conversation. It's everywhere, um, and so. Related to that, I was having a conversation with the mayor and some other members of the management group, and uh, I don't I don't remember exactly how this came up, but they they asked about our um, our use of force training and our use of force policies, and I was talking about the fact that in the Commonwealth, for all all of my time as a as a um, physical skills instructor, firearms instructor, uh, defensive uh, tactics instructor, practical instructor, that um, we, we train integrated use of force. And so for our viewers and our listeners, what that means is that um, when we go to physical skills training with our training unit or we go to the academy, uh, during the course of either the, the training or the drills or the scenarios, uh, potentially every piece of equipment on the officer's belt and or some equipment that wouldn't be belt carried but they would have to access, could be utilized to try to resolve a situation in the best possible way. So in, in one training exercise, an officer or officers may go from pepper spray to taser to you know back to pepper spray to handcuffs to baton uh, to, to firearm back down to baton. It's, it, you have to be able to transition. It's part of how we train. And the reason we train that is because we recognize that use of force situations are, are evolving and they're dramatic and they're fast and you can't you can't commit yourself to one outcome. You have to have options. Um, in our integrating communications assessment and tactics training, we call it spinning the wheel. You've got to be able to take new information as it's coming in and pivot and spin the wheel. So um, that's not necessarily true uh, everywhere, right? There are still departments elsewhere in the country where when it's firearms day, it's firearms day. And when it's baton day, it's baton day. And when it's handcuffing day, it's handcuffing day. And they they don't necessarily do that degree of integration. And so when they find themselves, in some cases, in a situation where they're on the path with one piece of equipment, they stay on that path regardless of new Im inputs. So I was telling a story uh, about giving the example of integrated use force, and I could see that they, they understood what I was talking about, but they didn't necessarily see what that meant. So I shared a story, and this story has not been reported in, in the news. It's, it, it was an arrest that, was, that didn't arise to the occasion of, of generating a media inquiry, and it, didn't, it, it went well, so it didn't arise to the occasion that it would necessarily have even come through the captain's office to my office. And so it, it just kind of like it went out. So I told this story, and this is a, this is a new occasion within the last couple of weeks. So I, the report comes to me eventually because it involved an off-duty officer. Right, that's the only reason I see it. If it had been all on-duty personnel, it never would. It just would have been approved, and it would have been closed. 
But what happened was a call or multiple calls came in for uh, uh, ongoing disturbance reported as a domestic. Uh, it's on a, on a public street sidewalk. And at some point after this thing is us, um, escalating, the male party involved grabs what we now know based on the reports was a garden in implement, uh, a lawn edger. And he's brandishing it. He's going after the, the female um, victim. And so p- calls are placed. 911 calls are made. Officers, uh, uh, the dispatch is assigned. And the initial dispatch is, is a single officer. It's busy, and there's, there's not anybody else to go. So that should not be a single officer call, but that's, that's the initial dispatch. So the officer goes. He arrives by himself. He finds the situation I've just described. Um, subject has the garden implement. It's a weapon. The threat is still going on. He engages the suspect. Uh, the suspect turns his attention to the officer, still has the weapon. The officer draws a firearm. Now, this, this has potential to turn into uh, an officer-involved shooting. This, this could go very bad very quickly. One of the 911 callers was an off-duty officer. And this not off-duty officer, he he's can't mount it with a radio transmission. He doesn't know what the dispatch instructions are, but he stays in the area because he knows that this is going to be a, a potentially bad call. He stays in the area. He recognizes that backup has not arrived yet. This officer is now confronting the subject. He's drawn his firearm. The off-duty officer decides to intercede and come to the on-duty officer's aid. He exits his personal vehicle. He's armed. He now draws his firearm. The on-duty officer immediately recognizes that he now has available backup. He instantly holsters his firearm, transitions to his taser, tases the subject, weapon is dropped, takes the subject into custody, handcuffs him, no injuries. That's what happens with integrated use of force training. So I'm telling that story, and uh, the, the mayor and uh, Ms., Mrs. McCulloch, the mayor's office, is like, this story needs to be told. I'm like, well, I'm telling you. So, so today I'm telling the story. Um, ironically, when I uh, agreed that you know, we would do something with that story and tell a story, I woke up this morning to come here, and uh, not, not the exact same situation, but report from the midnight shift commander that overnight they took a call, call came in, subject claim he has a gun, wants to, um, wants to, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna shoot, he's gonna shoot people, he wants to shoot police officers. Uh, Midnight's goes down there this morning, uh, good containment, good use of all of the equipment that they've been trained on and provided. Um, they deploy, it, he refuses to drop the, the weapon. Um, they're trying to uh, talk him down, negotiate. Uh, he refuses to drop the weapon. They deploy less lethal, he drops the weapon. They take him into custody. It's a pellet gun, right? So you know he and he, and he said, you know, I, I want you to shoot me, and so you know he's alive. That's a successful outcome. Yep. Um, that's because we train integrated use of force and we deploy a wide variety of of tools and resources to allow us to have options. And so those are those are two great examples. So, the and we're always looking at new technology too. Like last year we did the. The bola wrap. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm glad you brought that up. So the the bola wrap, we we did the bola wrap demo. Um, I actually posted some video when we did the bola wrap demo, and uh, 
it, this is just, you know, we've been, we've been talking so much about it. And COVID-19 interrupted it, right? So we brought the representatives from Bola Rap. And if you're not familiar with the Bola Rap, you can uh, go to social media. You can check it out. We posted it to the department's page and my, my previous Facebook page. The content's still there. Video's there. Um, it's, it's a less lethal device. Essentially, it, um, it, it launches a Kevlar tether, a six-foot Kevlar tether, weighted on both ends. And, uh, and it wraps up a non-compliant subject. It's, it basically, like, you know, ties their, their arms to their torso or ties their, their feet together from a distance. You can do it from a standoff. It's a pretty interesting and, and cool piece of equipment. So we do the demo. We have the vendors in. They leave us two of them, and they leave us some rounds because we're going to do a test and evaluation period. you got to do the, the time of test and evaluation before you decide if you're going to commit to this stuff. But I actually have a conversation with the vendors while they're in Pittsfield, and I said, listen, give me a proposal for me to buy the two you're leaving with us plus another, you know, six or eight, and, and we'll try to get this done when the budget hits. Well, the, that demonstration and then the, the scheduling for the T&E was right before the pandemic hit, right? We we're, were supposed to finish that. I think, I think we got the request to send the units back in, like, the second week of the emergency. And, and we just, we never got to finish the T&E. Yep. So, um, is it two weeks ago we were talking about the, the patrol containment operation and the SRT call out on Eleanor Road? Yep. So I'm standing in the command post and I'm listening to the information come up from the target house on Eleanor Road. And I literally looked at the, the incident commander and I said, we should go down to the captain's office and get the bowl of wrap. Right? And I'll do it. Right. If it, it, it'll be me. Right. But, you know, this, that would be a tool that would resolve this. Um, we didn't end up doing it just because uh, the situation evolved. To the, we didn't have a chance to send them back, but they were locked up in the captain's office and we would have had to have sent a runner. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, it's we're always looking at new equipment and new devices and trying to find different and better and interesting ways to um, resolve situations to, for the best possible outcome. You got you got a lot of busy stuff going on over oh, there, Gary. It's crazy. <laughs> Work? No. Work fam family? Yep. Yeah. I get it. Trust me, I get it. <laughs> um so we've got a few minutes left. Uh I was trying to I was debating this morning whether I was going to um I was gonna get into this topic. And I I think I have to. So um it's it's been widely reported and there's several letters to the editor again today about um and I, and I i won't get into the local the local controversy that sparked this but um law enforcement training in in this country that is provided um by the in the, by the anti-defamation league uh law enforcement counterterrorism training and i have to i have to address it because i've participated in that training um, and I actually was interviewed earlier this week by, um, by a reporter from the Berkshire Eagle because of statements that were made um, about the Anti-Defamation League and, and the training um, and, and then the response. Right? And I, I, don't know, I don't know where the, the message got miscommunicated. So... Full disclosure, uh, I was fortunate enough in 2013 to participate in the Anti-Defamation League's Northeast 
uh, counterterrorism training. Uh, I was the, the, a guest of the ADL. I, I actually didn't get to do it in my official capacity. I had to take personal time to do it, but I took vacation and um, I, I, I went to Israel to uh, travel with the ADL, uh, visit their offices, and participate in this counterterrorism program um, where we were guests of the Israeli National Police and, and some elements of uh, the Israeli Defense Forces, particularly the military police. Um, and it, it was amazing. It was amazing. But I have to be clear, it was, it was terrorism prevention training. It was, it was site security stuff. At no time while I was on that trip or while I participated in that trip did we do any tactical training, any physical skills training. I, I was traveling with a bunch of police executives on a tour bus, driving to cultural institutions and religious sites and historical institutions, um, and we were looking at the security posture. And I, you know, it was, it was a life-changing opportunity for me. I am forever grateful that I was allowed to participate in that. Um, I learned a lot, not just about counterterrorism and security posture, but also about how the, the Israeli National Police do media stuff, uh, which I've taken a lot of advantage of. I learned a lot about their community policing programs, which I've taken uh, a lot of advantage of. It, so professionally, it was amazing. Personally, it was amazing. Uh, I won't get into the, uh, oh my God, the food. That was so, was so amazing. Um, and then, you know, I'm not going to get it, but spiritually, it, it was a life-changing experience for me. Um, but when I came back, I was asked by our, our local Jewish community and also by my church at the time to talk about my trip. And so I've done several presentations about that trip. And during one of my presentations, I, I made a statement and stand by the statement that we were allowed to observe some of the things that the Israeli National Police did from a tactical point of view, um, at the actual strategies and tactics that, in my opinion, we wouldn't be allowed to do. And, and I stand by that. But again, we didn't practice any physical skills. I wasn't talking about physical skill stuff. I was talking about deployment strategies, deployment tactics. And so when I talked to the, the reporter earlier this week, I said, you know, I was talking about things like metal detectors and bomb detectors at the entrances of malls. Um, surveillance, privately provided surveillance in, in residential neighborhoods to do, change the security posture of a cultural institution. Um, 50 police officers in a standby location on a constant state of readiness just in case. I mean, if people found out I had 50 cops sitting somewhere playing cards, just in case, that, 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 that just wouldn't be allowed in this country, right? Unless there was a real significant event going on. You couldn't just do it as part of a routine. Um, some of the camera technology and the surveillance programs that they had in place, um, I don't think American, American citizens would stand for that. That's the type of stuff I was talking about. And when I said there was tactics that we, that we viewed that we wouldn't be allowed to do, it's, you know, it's the difference between our two systems of government. And, and the threat matrix that our two countries face. So I don't know where the message got lost. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for the, the people that are involved in this local conversation now um, because the, the Anti-Defamation League is, just, you know, it's a, it's a private nonprofit group, but I've 
since the time I was a gang intelligence officer, I've relied on a lot of the material that they provide to inform some of our threat assessments. And, um, you know, I just, I, they provide quality training and services on the things that they do train, and they don't cross into the, the tactical stuff. And that shouldn't be, um, they shouldn't, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be associated with that. So it's hard conversations, difficult stuff going on. Yep. All right. You have to say something for a couple of seconds here so I can have some coffee, Gary. Go have some coffee. <laughs> you were uh, talking a little bit ago. You did a community thing last night. Yeah. Thank God for you or it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> that, that reminds me. Um, I, I have a I have an IT ask. I'm sure you're not going to be able to help me with it before July, um, but uh, I have been relying with this with the ruggedized. I have been relying with either uh, like a 25 year old webcam that I had in in my office at home that I just connected to that thing and our our regular headset that we normally issue. But in the last couple of weeks, when I did some work at home Wednesdays and then this thing last night, I was using my my personal webcam my logitech webcam mm -hmm. um it was so much cleaner and crisper so i'm gonna need you to get me a webcam for my go back okay <laughs> um yeah so uh in addition to you know um my, my job which you know we get to spend quite a bit out in the community because of the work that we do uh i am i think my family would say maybe over invested in a lot of community institutions or organizations and for a long time you know so even long before I was a chief I do a lot of board service uh, and for the last several years I have been a member of the board of trustees at the Norman Rockwell Museum okay. and um, although I, I tell people all the time I'm a really bad board member right it's a lot of these boards have meetings during the work day or they have meetings that you know extend over multiple days on the weekend and I can't but I you know commit to lend the support I can when I can and so one of my favorite uh, exhibits at the Norman Rockwell Museum is Norman Rockwell's Four Freedoms uh, they're amazing pieces of art when they're not on international tour they're in the central gallery the Four Freedoms gallery mm -hmm. that is kind of central to the Norman Rockwell Museum Anytime I take visitors to the Norman Rockwell Museum, we start there. Uh, those, those four paintings representing the, the four freedoms are something that I hold near and dear. And so the, the Rockwell, um, for years, has, has hosted uh, four freedoms discussions, uh, usually in the gallery spaces. And I've gotten to a couple of them. Um, but yesterday, last night, they uh, held a, a virtual for freedoms discussion on you know um the death of mr floyd and and the civil disturbances and unrest that has occurred and demands for uh change to a system of systemic racism and institutionalized racism and so uh they lined up a a phenomenal panel and late last well no late, late last week or early this week um my Lori. Norton Moffat, the director of the Rockwell, contacted me and asked if I would uh, if I would participate as a panelist in this forum. And I wasn't sure that it, I was going to be able to do it, but um, I said, you know, pencil me in. We'll see what, what can happen. And so last night we had a, um, 
from 5.30 to just after 7, we had a virtual Zoom webinar. Um, Lori obviously participated. Um, Jen Smith from the Eagle moderated. Shout out to Jen. She did a fabulous job managing all of the stuff coming in from multiple channels. Um, I, I, there's two artists who have exhibited at the Rockwell, and I don't have the information in front of me, so I apologize. I'm not going to get everybody's name, uh, Jerry and Liza. And then uh, Roberta McCulloch-Dews, also from the city, participated. I participated. Gwendolyn Hampton Van Zant from uh, Bridge participated. And uh, Brooke, Brooke Bridges from the NAACP participated. And so, uh, yeah, 160 participants access wow. and uh and come into the forum including a guest from belgium hmm. and uh we spent an hour and a half having some hard conversations um it it virtual didn't allow for the the same degree of interaction but it, as laurie said in the conclusion um it allowed more participation so less depth more breadth uh, and it, it was well received we had people asking um, to continue that conversation or do similar conversations moving forward one of the things that came out of it is um, you know kind of a, a recognition that you know everybody who participated all, all 168 of us uh, can continue that conversation you know invite your friends to a zoom meeting and have that conversation yourself and, and just keep the conversation going it was uh it was interesting. It started with Jen asking people to kind of either type into the chat or say a word where they are now. There's a lot of angry, frustrated, disappointed, concerned, heartbroken. And it ended with her making the same ask. And there was a lot of hope, energized, um, motivated, uh, curious. So it was... Uh, yeah, it, it was a it was a heavy ninety minutes to be zooming in the basement, but it was a productive conversation. It's a conversation that has to has to be had, and uh, there's a, it's just been so much stuff. As I was getting ready to log into that conversation, I got an email that had been bouncing back and forth in and out of my inbox since eight o'clock yesterday, probably earlier than that, seven o'clock yesterday morning. Um, the Mass Chiefs were formulating their response. There's a um, there's a campaign out there, uh, eight can't eight eight that can't wait, eight can't wait, and it's eight suggested changes to police policy that will have immediate life-saving effects. And um, you know, the good news is that the Commonwealth has adopted all eight of them in some regard uh, many many long ago, but definitely in the past five years since the uh, final report of the President's Task Force on 21st Century Policing came out. Nearly nearly all of it has, has been accomplished by most departments in the Commonwealth, including us. Um, so I, I was reading that as we were getting ready to go into that. And then um, as, as we were kind of signing up, I, I received an email from our Police Advisory Review Board who is meeting virtually next Tuesday. Okay. So budget on Monday, PARB <laughs> on Tuesday. So the weekend's going to be spent planning, except for the law enforcement torch run on Saturday and then our event that I will talk about in a moment on Sunday. Um, so I also received an article that was forwarded uh, from the Police Advisory Review Board on an uh, interview that I did with WAMC where they had a uh, Columbia law professor take a look at our 
our use of force policy. Uh, the, the article, you know, made some suggestions for things that we should consider going forward, but it basically, you know, said that, you know, we have a good policy. You know, we, we have a policy and we're constantly looking at our policy. Um, there's some things that we may incorporate uh, in, in the next several weeks, but we're in a good spot. So, um, you know, there's, there's always room for improvement, mm -hmm. but it helps when you're starting a little bit ahead of the curve, and we are starting well ahead of the curve. Um, and so Sunday in Pittsfield, um, there is, we were contacted last week by Berkshire Interfaith Organizing, and Berkshire Interfaith Organizing wants to have a, um, a, a, an event, a rally, a march. Uh, interestingly enough, their intent is to do it jointly with the police department or police departments. I was asked to invite uh, other police executives and I, I have a, a couple uh, departments that have been able to commit to sending somebody. So we'll be gathering Sunday afternoon in the space between the department and city hall, uh, some prayers and some reflections, and then we'll walk in solidarity from city hall uh, down North Street to Columbus and down Columbus to Durant Park where there will um, be a pause to commemorate uh, Mr. Floyd's death and some more remarks and then uh, disperse to, you know, enjoy the rest of the Sunday afternoon. So that's happening this week. Uh, and that, that's been signed off on, the staffing is, is in place, so, uh, other agencies are, are res uh, responding. And then the following Sunday, there will be a similar event that we don't have all the details on. That's my 11 o'clock Zoom. Um, but this one's being uh, organized by some county youth. Uh, they're not easy young man, but, um, you know, not, not the village elders, the, right. the next generation. Mm -hmm. um, and that one, again, uh, they, they specifically asked for police participation. Um, in that case, it, it was more, you know, we're, we want to know that you, you're there to protect us, and of course we are, so they had some specific asks. Um, but again, we'll, we'll, we'll be there not only as police officers, but also as participants. So both Sundays, um, more to come on the second one. Okay. So, yeah, lots going on. Crazy. Lots going on. Yep. All right, so we have a couple minutes left. We've talked about the events that we're involved in and participating in. Um, I did not receive this week's version of the Cultural Pittsfield newsletter. Nope. And it, that may be on me. It may have just gotten, I may have been clicking madly trying to clear my inbox last night and <laughs> it, it just went somewhere else. But uh, so I, I can't read any of it, but I'm, I'm going to stick to this commitment, right? We're not, we're not out of the woods yet. Masks are important. Social distancing continues to be important. Personal hygiene continues to be important. Cleaning and sanitation continues to be important. If you're in the workforce, workforce surveillance, you know, checking yourself and your coworkers to make sure nobody's sick, has the sniffles or is displaying symptoms, continues to be important. But just because we have to do those things doesn't mean you can't still participate in the unbelievable cultural activities and cultural venues that are available here in Berkshire County. And if you're listening from afar and you're not familiar with Berkshire County, well, there's no better time to check some of this stuff out now when you can do it virtually for free. And then when lockdown lifts, you can come visit us in person. Mm -hmm. But 
check out the online content for the Berkshire Museum. Check out the online content at the Berkshire Athenaeum. Check out the online content for First Friday's Outwalk. Don't just be a bump on the log and sit in home while you're in lockdown or quarantine. Get out, enjoy our outdoor recreational activities. Take this time to pick up a new habit. Come out of this better. Come out of this with something new that you can say, yeah, you know, spring of 2020 was rough, but this is what I did. Mm -hmm. um, so check out their newsletter. You can go check out Cultural Pittsfield uh, online and find that. And thank you again for tuning in to a new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. We will be back next week again in studio. Take us out, Gary. <laughs>